Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Today we're really fortunate to have a chance to meet Teresa Gilley, who is both a farmer and someone that has had five different roles within the Minnesota Soybean Growers Association. Teresa is currently president of the association. Teresa, can you tell us about how you manage both your role on the farm and your roles within Minnesota Soybean Growers Association? It's a little bit of a challenge. I'm lucky that, you know, my husband kind of does a really good job of holding down the home front. Um, We actually have very different jobs on our farm. I take care of most of the marketing, all the FSA, crop insurance, any insurances, any accounting, bookkeeping. Um, My husband, uh, he takes care of a lot of the on-field stuff, but when it comes to like seeding and planting, we all work together. Um, I do cultivate and chisel plow and do all those kind of things. Um, I also combine. I've been combining since 1983, a long time. (laughs) You know, as, as much as, you know, we farm together as a family, and our son is farming with us too right now. We also have very different jobs. We have a lot of pretty good boundaries set. You're getting your tractor time, your combine time. Sounds like. Do you, you enjoy that part? <laughs> actually, it's a very calm time. It's actually a lot calmer to be in the field, you know, cultivating in the spring. The winter time, of course, now with uh, stressful farming times that we're having right now, I do do all the budgeting. I do all the banking, make sure our loans and stuff are, are paid on time and deal with our banker. So that part can be pretty stressful, especially when we're having hard, you know, tough farming times. Actually, when I'm when I'm in the field, chisel plowing or cultivating or combining, especially, it's actually a calmer time. Good break. Just a, a side note, I guess I'm curious about, because I grew up and we're our, my parents were farming during the 80s, and I remember how stressful it was for my mom because her role was really similar to yours and making the calls with the banks and keeping everything moving along. How would you compare that time period of farming to how it is now? Well, back in the 80s, my husband and I started farming. Of course, the interest prices were high. I remember dealing with the FSA on interest buy-downs. In in some ways, they're very similar because with the farming times we're having right now, there's going to be some some drastic fallout uh, from from farmers who just either just don't want to continue to deal with the stress and deal with the financial issues that go with farming. But uh, parts of it's very different. Right now, we have very low interest rates um, compared to that, you know, 18, you know, 15, 18 percent mm-hmm. stuff we were dealing with in the 80s. In some ways, some aspects are very similar, but in some places they're they're actually, you know, quite different. Well, it's certainly an amazing time and we're all looking for the turnaround of some sort. Kind of keep hoping for that that <laughs> pendulum, you know, the pendulum was quite high and the, on the crop prices and then they, you know, they've really taken a huge swing back. And so I think everybody's just impatiently waiting for that pendulum to start really start swinging back to the positive positive side. Yeah, that's for sure. So tell us how you kind of juggle in then your responsibilities for the Minnesota Soybean Growers. Luckily, I've been able to do, you know, a series of meetings over like go to meeting uh, and conference calls and things like that. There's a quick little flight out of Steve River Falls. So I've been able to do some meetings in one day instead of it taking three. I'm 430 miles from the Mankato office. Oh, wow. Um, living in northwestern Minnesota and Mankato is that far away from me. So um, to do a, a two hour or three hour meeting, um, the office has been really good to help me balance my time. It's a balancing act because, you know, right now I have a series of 
meetings coming up. We're not done combining yet. So I have to weigh the pros and cons of, of what I can do, what I can't do. And I do relay that to the off, to our office and, and to the other directors. I, I have to take care of my farm and my family first. But uh, also there's a, lot of, there's, there's a lot of political stuff going on right now in the state, our state legislatures. We didn't get any, any of the tax bill or bonding bill or any of that kind of stuff passed, and those things are going to be hot topics again. So it, it's, a, it's a huge balancing act, but um, so far with the support of family and friends and, and, and things like that, I've been, able to, I've been able to try to keep all of it going. Wow, I think your, your job title should just be stress. <laughs> I just can't imagine <laughs> all the things you're trying to juggle. That's really amazing. So Don't ever judge me how my office looks, okay? Soybean <laughs> <laughs> so growers must have seen, you know, obviously you've worked your way up. You've had five different roles there, and so they, they really must be uh, leaning on you for leadership and for direction. So can you talk about that? You know, Kitson County didn't have an organized county for Minnesota soybean, um, and I was one of the instigators of getting our county organized. And uh, part of it is is that, you know, if farmers want a voice and if those of us in extreme northwestern Minnesota want our voice, I just felt it was our responsibility to step up to the plate. We started growing soybeans in our area. So um, so that was that was kind of my first, how I first kind of got noticed through Minnesota Soybean. I do value membership and, and what we can do politically together, and I've gotten a lot of recognition for that. We have worked very closely with our industry partners and, and communicating with our industry partners um, to get them to understand what we need from them, but to, to also talk about what they need help from us has been, has been a real value. In Minnesota Soybean, we've tried really hard to get all of our directors and all of our members to communicate with our legislators and our congressional leadership. And part of it is, is that when we're talking to them, they also understand who we are and they get to know you on a one on a on a first name basis and then you've you've gotten to the point where you where you've earned a lot of their confidence and and can become that source of information for them. Wow, that probably takes some time and devotion I guess to building those relationships. So It does, but it's nice to know that if I run into Colin Peterson, I'm going to give him as an example. Um he's been a long-time uh uh congressman for us, and so I can talk to him if he needs some information. His office will contact me. And I want to be that source for him if he needs me. Our office, Minnesota Soybean Office and Minnesota Wheat Office and Corn and things, they're, they're all there as, as resources for what works for, works for the farming community. It does take some work. It takes some time. And it takes showing up, being at, being at the table and being able to tell your story and just to let them know this, this just isn't going to work for my farm. You know, and farms are very different and very dynamic. And Minnesota is very different from the very north to the very south. And, and you think about all the different animal agricultures that we're dealing with. So if we can be that voice for them and let them know how things affect us on a one-to-one basis, it makes them easier to get our story across. Because it's coming straight from the people who are grappling with the problems, with the issues you've got. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of work gets done um, at that level that uh, those of us who aren't part of that cycle don't necessarily get to see how all of that happens and how much it is just building the relationships and devoting the time to helping them understand, you know, what you're really up against. Well, I know when we were working on the ACRE program, that's 
not the last, it's not this farm bill, it was the prior one. And they had these different scenarios and, and they're kind of spreadsheet like, and I plugged one of our farms, one of our simpler farms in, which was just, it's just one farm, it's one landlord, one field, you know, pretty simple thing. And I remember doing all these different scenarios to see if this would work for me or not. And I laid them all out. I went into our FSA office and our FSA office, we all, we're all kind of looking at, you know, okay, if this happens, you know, if the prices fall and this goes up, you know, well, how this is all going to, going to affect, affect me and that, and that particular farm. So it, it was, it was pretty cool to be able to, to be able to do that. But I was, it was really rewarding to see how many people sought my help as to how that would affect a farm and the dynamic that went with that. I kind of like doing that. Not everybody does, but it does help them see how different decisions would affect one farm. Otherwise, they have no real life experience to, to lean on for those decisions that they're making that have such a giant impact on our ag community. I know a number of years back, back in the early 2000s, we were working on a disaster bill. They sent me, I think it was someone from, from Kansas State University, sent me a spreadsheet and uh, so I worked on this spreadsheet on how this would affect my farm. And when I plugged it all in, it looked like a lot of money, okay? And it does, it kind of, it, you know, because it, it looked like a lot of money. But when I, when I broke it down per acre, I was going to not quite get $25 an acre Ooh. on my farm. So I sent that off, and, and my, I related to that that wouldn't even pay, pay the second half, my second half land rent. So they can kind of look at it in something that is a little more real-term, yeah, it looks like this huge chunk. I'm not going on a vacation with it. I just want to pay my second half land rent, and that's what I was trying to get across. I just want to survive. And um, oh. that's just some some of the stuff I've done through my years. So well, you have accomplished um, a lot of things. So let's start by maybe taking a look backwards a little bit, and can you kind of talk about how your early life prepared you for where you've ended up? in your career? First of all, I grew up in town. I did not grow up on a farm. I met my husband in college and his family went custom harvesting. So I graduated from college in accounting and I went south with them to do book work and, and things like that. I uh, got to Laverne, Oklahoma. This is how the conversation went. We're going to put you in a 7720 for a few days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I kind of thought, yeah, you guys are kidding, right? So I learned how to run a 7720, a John Deere 7720, <laughs> and um, I've been combining ever since. With the exception of there was a few years there when I had a, I had my child, but I actually I actually combined when I was pregnant. So it didn't really prepare me in my real young years because I went to I went to school in accounting. My husband, of course, we live on we live on the original family farm. I just kind of learned day by day when my husband and I started getting into where well, we we had our own farm back in 1986. Then we were dealing with FSA and organizations like that. And part of it was is that we were we were seeking new farmer help. So of course you have these deficiency payments and things like that back then and. I started reading the forms and I started asking a lot of questions and they were actually very, very helpful. I, I was really impressed with our FSA office and, and how helpful they were in this young gal that didn't know barely anything about egg farming and agriculture. I asked a lot of questions, but I often tell everybody that I didn't learn what I did, what I know today overnight. I learned it day by day. 
mm-hmm. over a long period of time. If you start by helping going get, going and getting parts, you start by being in the field and know, and helping them move from field to field. I, I rode a lot in equipment with my husband. Of course, we were in love and young back then, you know, and, um, and so I would ride with him to understand how the tractor and stuff worked. And from that, I've learned a lot of the other part of what's going on on the farm because it isn't just planting and harvesting. There's a whole nother part of the farm of, of management and marketing and budgeting and, you know, financing. Farming is very much a business, but it's a it's a different kind of business because you live at work 24-7. Yeah, there's no going home. You're just... No, no, we pretty much live at work. <laughs> Love that what you said that learning day by day over a long period of time. I think that's really. I've had I've had a lot of young, especially young women, ask me. They said, "How did you learn all you learn all you know?" And I said, "It was a day by day thing, and you learn with trial and error." I have had combine stuck. I nicked a tree with a cultivator once. This is what you learn. You you learn it. You pay attention. Is it easy? No, it's not. And when you're dragging chains and ropes in the mud. It stinks to all high heaven. But you do learn how this all works. You learn about the safety fact. In the spring, when I can be out there in the field first thing in the spring and you turn that soil over for the first time, there is just this wonderful aroma that comes from that, that that we get to experience. Yep, and I one of my, my probably my second favorite smell is just the when you can start to smell the corn drying down and you step outside mm, yep. and it just wafts up and it's this wonderful, and harvest is always so exciting. Well, I know when we take those first loads of wheat off in August, the wheat, you know, when you look at it in the hopper and it's got that deep, we always call it red, it's not really red, but, you know, we call it the deep red color, and and the straw just, glistens with gold. Those are those are just some of the things that I wish everybody could experience because it is literally that special to me. I think there's a beauty in farming that you you don't get to see when you're not out there. Well, and then of course, you know, if you if you're out there at night and you're and the dew is just set on and you're cooling the equipment down and you finally turn them all off and it's quiet and there's just a little bit of breeze left that you know flows through your hair or whatever and you watch and you see the sun on the horizon setting it's something I wish everybody could experience as much as I always think that I'm taking it for granted I really don't I really appreciate seeing that um, when I'm out in the field and you, and you see that haze as, as the sun sun starts to fade in, in the west. And, of course, you know, then you see how the, the dust on the back end of the combine starts falling a little bit more. It doesn't doesn't go quite as high. And those are pretty special times. Thank you for painting that picture for us. That's beautiful. In thinking about all of the experiences that you've had, um, and you, you talked about that first time that you stepped into a combine, were there any other kind of pivotal experiences or events that happened for you that changed the course of your life? As I said, I fell in love in college and, and got married to my college sweetheart. So, um, and of course he wanted to farm. It wasn't what I had planned to do. I will tell, I always tell everybody I, it wasn't what I planned to do. But in the midst of all of it, we were shorthanded. So I got out in the field and I helped because that's what you do in, in a family farm. You go out and you help as much as you can. And through that, you learn so many things day to day. You know, technology and, and equipment and stuff is changing all the time. So so you're always kind of paying attention to the next thing that's happening. So I, I don't know, I guess that's kind of how, what's happened in my life. Did I choose it? Did I Did I really in my young years choose to do this? No, I really didn't. But I always say that sometimes it's good that you don't, everything isn't quite so planned because I don't think when I was younger that I ever would have thought that I would be here in in my 
in my nice big yard in my little house in the country, which is kind of an American Gothic kind of kind of feeling. But in the midst of all of it, I, I just can't imagine me being in the cities in a cubicle working, you know, downtown Minneapolis. I just think that, wow, I get to I get to do this instead of fighting traffic. Do I get to fight mud? Yes, this year we get to fight mud. Mud really doesn't get mad at me back. <laughs> You know, we just, right now I have a little bit of mud rage going on, but not road rage, no. So, you you know, you've talked about how important your husband has been in your life. And for anyone who's married, of course, that's certainly true. But was there anyone else in your life that was important to your development or who maybe mentored you along the way? One of the, one of the first people that really encouraged me to kind of do something different is Dave Torgerson from the Weed Office. <laughs> Because I remember going to the annual wheat meeting, and the first year I went, of course, I was a young gal, and uh, not married only, you know, a year or so, and uh, and the guys went over to these marketing classes and stuff, and they sent us women to a craft class, <laughs> and then we went to a fashion show, and the second year they did that again. And the third year, it's kind of like, well, the guys are all going over there. And I was kind of tired of the fashion show and craft class thing. And I looked at Dave and I said, Dave, I said, what do I have to do to go learn about crop insurance? And he told me, he goes, Tracy, he said, you can do anything you want. So I started going with my husband and stuff to the other, to those other sessions. And I didn't go to the, I didn't go to the craft class and the fashion show and the the tea or luncheon or whatever they had. Uh, And I thought, you know, there was a lot to learn there. I was green. I didn't know much. And I always tell everybody I learned day by day. But I started by going with them to learn something that I didn't know barely anything about and learning from there and finding out what more I needed to know and what changes were coming and, and with crop insurance and FSA and, and all those things. So I guess I would, I would give, uh, I'd give credit to Dave Torgerson and the other person I would give a lot of credit to in my uh, Minnesota soybean career, I would give it to Bob Worth. He was the president of the Minnesota soybean growers at the, uh, at the time I started organizing my county or getting other members to join Minnesota Soybean so that I, I could, I, I kind of thought, well, why, why, are, why do we not have members of, of my county doing Minnesota Soybean? And uh, so I started getting some people signed up for membership. And then Bob wanted me to come to a meeting. And I did, and it was in Fergus Falls. And he told me, he goes, Tracy goes, we want to put you on as an at-large member of Minnesota Soybean. And I looked at all these directors that were in that room and I thought, what does it take to be a, an organized county? And he goes, oh, Teresa, you're going to need 30 members. So with that, um, the following February, I had 48. <laughs> and, and, and we organized, and I became director of Minnesota Fighting. But, but Bob was just, uh, he, was, he was so encouraging. He goes, I need you to come to this meeting. You need to see what we're doing. And, and he gave me that next step. To, to see what Minnesota Soybean was doing. And Bob and I are still really, really good friends. Just that, that other little bit of encouragement because he saw, he saw that I could do that. 
and he encouraged me to continue. And he was, I mean, he was on emails with me. He'd call me periodically. How is it going? You know, kind of thing. Just gave you that little extra energy that kind of say, you know, yeah, we can do this. We need to have some of these benefits. We need to have a voice at the state level. I, I guess I'm going to give, I'm going to give some pretty good credit to him. Well, I think you have to take some for yourself because to come up with, to talk 48 other members into joining, that's pretty impressive in that short amount of time, especially. Well, the only thing is that Kitson County, we're a very agricultural county. We don't have agriculture is our our economy here. But the the, the farmers here, they are members of the of the Red River Valley Sugar Beet Growers. They're they're members of Minnesota wheat. They're members of Minnesota soybean because because we we grow those crops and stuff. And and our guys are understand the value of membership. I don't think it was it wasn't as hard of a push as people give me credit for. I think that. You know, when people realized that we were trying to get a county organized and the benefits that we could get from having an organized county, um, a lot of people just said, you know, yeah, I need to sign up. Teresa, you got to get me signed up. I would give a lot of credit to just the farmers in Kitson County because we're not afraid to get involved and they understand the value of membership. Spoken like a true humble farmer, but I think you still deserve a little credit, Teresa. <laughs> on the other hand, it's kind of like, then you, then you push them and they're like, come on guys, we need help with a few more things here. So, <laughs> so just stop there. Can you kind of maybe describe, and this can be either on the farm or just personally or in any aspect of your life, um, what do you think one of your biggest obstacles has been that you've been able to overcome? I understand that I'm a woman in agriculture, but all the stuff I've done hasn't been because I'm a woman in agriculture. It's because I'm a farmer. I farm and I promote agriculture. You know, right now I'm president president of Minnesota Soybean. There's one other woman on the board, and I've kept Jamie on, and she's on at large right now, but she's getting her county organized. And all the rest of the 40-some directors are men. They didn't elect me because I'm a woman. They elected me because of the of the accomplishments I have helped our organization do. And with that, I get respect for that. You know, and the guys also understand, our, our board also understands that I do physically farm. They understand when, when I get together with them and we're talking about the markets and we're talking about FSA and we're talking about the Farm Bill and we're talking about, you know, some of these issues that affect all of us in agriculture, they know that I do deal with it on a very personal level. I've been working on these, not out on a lot of these issues, not only just for me, I'm working on them for all of agriculture and all of our soybean members. My biggest obstacle, I wouldn't exactly call it an obstacle. It's a little overwhelming to be in on a size board like this and and, and there aren't very many women there, very few. And But then to get the recognition they have bestowed on me isn't because I'm a woman. It's because of the job and the work I've been I've been able to help with. I think that is a just a wonderful little summation of how I see everything unfolding for you and, and for all women in ag to really feel like I am not here because of being a woman, but because of my accomplishments. I think that's a great goal for all of us. I'll never forget one of the first times I've been chairing different committees for an action teams for quite a while. I remember having a, an act, a committee meeting and I was frustrated with a couple of the directors and sent them out. I had had it. I'd had it. I 
They needed to go. Not in my committee. <laughs> so I kind of pretty much kicked them out. And our CEO, and when we took a break, he looked at me and he goes, Teresa, he said, I have not seen too many women that can stand toe-to-toe with these guys and talk my my points and our issues like like I like I've been able to do and I just kind of laughed and I thought oh I I never even viewed it that way I just kind of thought we were dealing with an issue these two guys kind of were disagreeing a little too harshly I didn't like it in my meeting so I sent them I sent both of them out and then they were kind of like oh okay well (laughs) and and part of it was is that I have not viewed myself as just a woman in agriculture. I've viewed myself as a farmer on our board. And because of that, I feel that they also view me as a farmer on our board. That's really a good point, that what you're projecting yourself would be what they would pick up on. But I also have have to understand that there's no gimmies here. And this is where my tough love part is going to come into play. If you want to be on these boards, there's room for everybody that wants to be, wants real involvement and really wants to get involved, really wants to get some work done, really wants to um, deal with our issues, there's room for anybody that wants to do that, especially in agriculture on commodity boards and, and things like that. I, I disagree with thinking that, you know, we need to have a spot because there aren't enough women there. At no time in all the stuff that I have done with agriculture have I ever used that as the reason I need to be on there and our reason to be chairing a, an action team or reason to go someplace with ASA because because they're dealing with, you know, the farm bill or whatever. I always felt that the reason I've always gotten to go is because of the knowledge I know and not because of the gender I have. Well, that's an awesome way to think about it and, and wonderful groundwork that you're laying for all the other women that are going to come along behind you. feel like I'm here because of I'm competent, because I'm good at what mm-hmm. I'm doing, not just because of who I am. And you have to understand that I don't plant. I don't spray. I don't do any trucking anymore. i got to tell you that when it comes to repairs, with the exception, except, exception of simple repairing, I'm not the I'm not the repair guru. I don't claim to be those things either. In the midst of all of that, there's on every farm and on all these boards and stuff, I understand that I am not the water quality gal. And I always tell everybody that I said, I'm a numbers gal. Graduated from college in accounting, okay? I'm a numbers gal. I'm not a science buff. So when sometimes the guys talk about all all these night the nitrates and the neonics and and all that stuff, I generally know about them. I am not the science gal. So then you put together your action team or whatever, and you put that person that is the, that is the science buff there. Then you let that person talk because you want to know what? That director is going to know a heck of a lot more and is going to be a lot more knowledgeable than I am by a long shot. And we all get to play to our strengths then. Yep. And last year I had I had the privilege of being our action team or that that the policy action team chair for advocacy. So we deal with the we deal with the legislature, and I was chair. Brad Hubble was the vice chair, and then um, we put together a few more people. And I remember sitting back, going, "Wait a second, I said I need a little bit more time." And I was working with Joe Smantek, who is my who is my staff lead. And I started sending him names of different pe- other people that I wanted on my action team. And he calls me. He goes, he goes, you're lining up different people that are strong on different things. And I said, absolutely. I needed my biodiesel guys. I needed, you know, guys that were that were really big on discovery farms. I needed guys that were 
um, that worked really close with the University of Minnesota, the research guys. I was, and I started handpicking these different people that I could have on that advocacy team because if for some reason we needed to testify on something or we need to go talk to the legislature about something, I needed to have those knowledgeable, super knowledgeable directors because everybody's really passionate about something. And, and with that, we were able to really get a, a very – strong advocacy team and I always had I kind of used to laugh I said I said I don't have to be the most knowledgeable I just have to have the team that is and I got I got a lot of credit for that but it, it really was the fact that I I understand where my weaknesses are and I needed to make sure that I used the other directors who who were very passionate and were very strong with that and that's the great part of having a board the size that Minnesota soybean has is that look at the knowledge in that room and to be able to harness that. And I think that's probably a real leadership characteristic that you got, that idea of building team from strengths, from people's strengths. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned earlier on about um, some young women that you'd visited with. Have you ever been a mentor um, for young men or women in agriculture? I do talk to a lot of young moms around here and and uh, farm farm wives and stuff, and, and I try to encourage their involvement. And part of it is, is I just want them to understand that they don't have to do all that I'm doing. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to have to do all that she does. And I, and I always tell her, no, you don't. You don't, you, you can do what you're comfortable with. The more they can learn and the more they understand their farm, the more they're going to appreciate what their husbands do and, and what their farm families are doing. They're going to understand the value of what they're doing here in our community, and they're going to understand the value that they have in their farm. As far as mentoring, I have been mentoring young girls since the late 80s. I coached cheerleading. I coached figure skating. I mentored at church, and I've done all those things. And most of those gals that I've mentored through, through these years are still my friends. I'm very close with a lot of them on Facebook and stuff like that. And part of it is is that they know that I was that that I'm I will always be there for them. Along that vein, then what do you think is some advice for young women that are just starting out in their careers? One of the things I used to always tell always tell the girls that, that I worked with when I was in my younger years, I said, be smart and independent. They're all, they're all bright, so smart, very talented young women. And then you take your talent and, and, you, and you try to use that talent to not only help yourself, but help other people. There's a real euphoric feeling when you're helping other people. It's amazing when you help your neighbor or whatever, that, that, that inner feeling that you get. So I want them to be smart. I want them to use their talents and to be brilliant, to embrace the fact that, you know, especially for women, it's it's okay to embrace your sexuality. You don't have to be frumpy. You can you can still, you know, I always I always kind of laugh. I said, "Yep, I can still put my high heels on and do my nails and my hair and I haven't dis dismissed the fact that I'm a I'm a woman too." I have always just tried to get to encourage young women to embrace all all of their aspects of who they are. Life isn't always easy. Life, life is going to throw you some real curveballs periodically. It's going to take you off your feet. It's going to knock you over once in a while. And then you stop for a minute, pick yourself up and say, okay, what did I learn from this today? And then try to make sure that you don't do it again. And then maybe you get, you'll get an opportunity in the future to maybe tell your story of what happened to you and how maybe you can help one other person get through a situation that maybe threw them off their feet. I really, I really loved working with different young women uh, in agriculture and in our community. And um, I encourage it. I actually wrote, wrote a scholarship for one of our director's daughters. <laughs> 
which she got. Oh, wow. And actually, she was she was interning out in Washington D.C. last time I was out there, and her and I were just chatting away. And um, and and she follows me on Facebook, and I follow her quite closely. But it's it's just been so much fun um, to to have known her when she was she actually interned with Minnesota Soybean on a summer thing, and and she worked with me, and I pushed her, and I made her do all these jobs, and and in the midst of all of it, her and I have become really good friends, and I just I'm I'm so excited to see what what comes next in her life. She's a lucky girl. I think you could have another cottage industry helping write scholarship things if you can do that. That's awesome. I I you know my husband and I have talked about. It. I wonder how many scholarships. I wonder how many scholarship letters I've written through these years. So I know change gears a little bit. I want to ask you what you feel like you're most concerned about within your sphere of influence. You know, you've obviously you're working at a legislative level and you're working right in on the farm. What is, what is of greatest concern to you now? The disconnect between what's happen, happening in our urban society compared to our agricultural community. There's a real miscommunication of uh, what we do. It's very concerning because I've done provider pals and things like that where you go into, into the city and you talk to them about what you're doing on the farm. I had one little girl come up and touch me because she'd never she'd never met a farmer before. I think they like farmers, but they're still they got this American gothic idea of what we should be. Along with all the advances that have happened in careers and cities and stuff like that, things are changing on the agricultural side too. We are using more technology. We're using internet, computerized GPS systems. It's concerning that we have this pushback against what what we're doing. I'm concerned about overregulation. I'm concerned about what's to come. That's that's probably my my biggest concern is that communication gap. And as much as we kind of talk about it a lot in agriculture, we're not getting our story to them. And we understand that they're the consumers that they want, you know, they want to they want to know what's going on. We have the GMO labeling bill and stuff like that, which is fine, but there's so much scare tactic. I wish I could eliminate that. But I wish I could do something more to bridge that gap. We may be slowly losing our our social license and regulations. Yeah, and and the thing is that you know I've, I've often told when when I when I hear some of this stuff and I've done interviews, I I told them I said you want to come out to a farm? I said come out to mine. I'd be more than happy to take you out. I I, I think there's there's just this idea, and of course a lot of us farmers. We own the woods around the river. We own some grassland for wildlife. Um, we we actually have 17 acres of CRP that expired back I don't know 15 years ago, and we've kept it in the grass and trees it is for the wildlife. You know how many people do that? We also have a, have a, a RIM program, Reinvest in Minnesota program, and that's got trees and grass and stuff and and two ponds for wildlife. I don't know if they think we just plow everything we possibly can, but they don't they don't realize that I have money money land and real estate invested. In keeping nature, nature. I think for some reason, I think a lot of that's lost, and and they don't ever get to hear that part of it. As far as our fields go, I got to tell you, right now there is no extra money for any extra fertilizer or any extra spraying or anything. Right now, we're in a really tight budget situation, and I know I do not know a single farmer right now that's going to just put extra stuff on because they can. They're literally using their soil samples and things like that to maximize their dollar because I'll tell you right now there isn't a banker around out there that's that's going to let us do anything frivolous 
And as a farmer, we're not going to do it anyway. Why would we put extra fertilizer on if, if we're not ever going to use it? That's just so out there. I, I, I don't even know how that mentality gets there. But then anybody can go to, go to Menards pick up a bag of weed and feed, and do they even know what those numbers on that bag mean? No. They, <laughs> they just don't. pick up the bag of weed and feed, and they put them on, and then once in a while you hear somebody goes, you know, it must be really good, so they put on extra. It's kind of like, uh, no, you're supposed to, this bag is supposed to cover how many feet. Do they measure it out? No, it's, you know, it's kind of a double standard. That's one of the things that, I guess, really, really concerned me, but I, I would just love people to see all of the CRP and the grassland and stuff that we have that we pay for, that we pay taxes on, that we maintain for uh, nature and for the river and, and things like that. And and so I, I, I think that there's there's a story there that's not being told. I, I keep trying to tell my story, but I'm not getting my story out there totally either. It's hard, and I feel like we need a lot of voices out there. Um, but that, that takes time, too. And, you know, you think about all the other responsibilities that you've got. Well, I have my fair share because i got to tell you, I do more than Minnesota soybean. I farm and I do Minnesota soybean, and then I'm, I'm treasurer for three other organizations. And, you know. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even <laughs> know about those. So tell us about that. Being in a small community like we are, small communities and, and counties like, like Kitson County, if we're going to get anything done around here, people volunteer. So right now I am treasurer of the Kitson County Soybean Growers. Association and Kitson County Farm Bureau and the Kitson County Fair Boards. I'm also on like the Hatluck Lions and other organizations like Kitson County Extension Committee, you know, where you're dealing with 4-H and stuff. And we volunteer our time to do that because if we didn't volunteer our time to do that, things they wouldn't get done. We wouldn't have these other options available. And agriculture communities, there's an awful lot of volunteering going on because farmers and rural people just they're they're good about rolling up their sleeves and well we'll get we'll just do this. And that's part of the reason why I coached as many years and stuff and I got a small stipend for coaching but it never is as, never never is as much as what you spend on it. <laughs> yep, I, that is so true. And and everything you said about our rural communities is true too. They still understand that that is what builds community. And and it isn't just yeah. about writing a check for sure. It's No, time. and and so so you donate your time and your energy. And yes, then on, then on occasion, your house doesn't get clean and the yard didn't get mowed in time. I have one final question for you. I feel like it, when you're on a farm, you really don't ever step aside from a career because it's, it is your life. But what is one thing that you hope that you would be remembered for when people reflect back on your life? If there's one thing I can be remembered for is that maybe I, I was able to help out somebody at some time. In agriculture, I want to be remembered as a person that made a difference, that a person that somebody remembered a person that somebody could rely on. In society, I just want to be remembered as as somebody that maybe helps somebody out at some time. And I sure as heck hope I'm remembered for not being too headstrong, but for being kind. Just from our conversation today, I think there are a lot of people who are going to remember you for a lot of that. Oh my goodness, you're just an amazing person with all the things you've accomplished. Wow, what a great conversation. But people have to understand that, you know, everybody has up days and down days. And the one thing that my husband gets to deal with is he gets to deal with my down days. When you think about 
about people that support you in the midst of my traveling and the fact that I get to visit with legislators and congressional leadership and I get to go to a lot of pretty neat meetings and things like that. When that moment comes when you when you have that downtime, when, when you're tired and, and you kind of want everybody to kind of step aside so you can have a break. Everybody has that. My husband is my support person. I really need to give him more credit. I don't give him enough credit, I don't think. Even when, you know, when I think about other women that want to go get into agriculture and stuff, they are going to have up days and down days. They are going to have times that they're tired and they don't want to do it anymore. But then brush yourself off and something else will come up and you use your imagination and you use what you have and your inner core to make a difference. That is wonderful advice. This has just been really a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad I got a chance to meet you and visit a little bit more and and understand what your life is like. I actually hope it would be nice to to address even just an FFA group or something like that sometime in my future and just to kind of let them know that there are a lot of opportunities for women in agriculture. But don't think about that you need, need an opportunity because you're a woman. Think about your opportunity because you're a knowledgeable person in agriculture. Absolutely. That is going to be our audience. So you, you effectively are going to reach probably thousands of FFA women. Well, I hope so. All right. <laughs> if you need me for anything else, I'm only a phone call away. Well, this has been a great conversation, Teresa. I can't thank you enough for your time and just the, the fact that you're willing to open up and share uh, your heart with all of our young audience, and I really, really appreciate it. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.